0: W.A.T.D. presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi.
1: If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. so thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you
0: to hold back and let him tell his story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture.
2: You guys are the center of the universe today. at least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area of Marshfield, guys, yes, no? Mm-hmm. Correct, yeah. That's right.
3: There's only one person not from of Marshfield in this room right now, and that's you. It's me. <laughs> I'm the outcast. Well, you always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Well, I'm honored to be on your show tonight,
2: Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie Baker. You ready? I gotta tell you that uh, it's really nice to hear Aerosmith on in the intro there. You're gonna be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that, but... We have Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming Tsai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I
4: am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And
2: now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are indeed tuned into Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WAT. Kicking off uh, Q4 for uh, the year. as uh, This is the first radio program of the month of October. As you have been pre warned in previous uh, shows the past week or two, that, that we will have upcoming political forums that will occupy the 7 to 8 o'clock spot. This, of course, uh, to better inform you about some of the things that are, some of the folks who are running for office that you're going to find on the ballot come November 8th, which is goodness, I can't believe it's just basically about a month away before we will be heading out to the polls and uh, deciding folks who are running for state office, county office, and uh, much, much more. Don't forget we also have ballot questions, there are four ballot questions that are also, up for uh, decisions. Tonight's show, we actually will kick things off right after we check traffic with State Representative Dave DeCoste. We get a chance to, to catch up with Dave, find out how things are going up at the State House, and also how things are out and about on the campaign trail, see how things are shaking out for him. Again, don't forget the 5th Plymouth District. Is going to change all these districts, all these folks who are uh, running for state rep, state senator, they're going to see a change to their, their respective districts. If they, if they are running for re-election or if they're running for a newly formed uh, district, such as uh, Rita Mendez, Bracton uh, City Councilor, she'll be joining us. And uh, it's she is uh, the Democrat running uh, for the 11th Plymouth District State Rep, the newly formed 11th Plymouth District State Rep seat, and we'll get a, a, a chance to catch up with her to find out what's going on with with her particular race. Many would tell you that uh, basically that the race is all but all but done, but eh, I like hearing the results uh, come November 9th as to what's going on. So we'll we'll talk with Rita. We'll catch up with Rita. What's going on in the City of Champions. Also, uh, how things are going out and about as she's talking to to folks uh, in her her new district. Hour number two. We are going to speak with Michael Patrick Murphy. And uh, Mr. Murphy is the author of Neighborhood Lines. And this is quite an interesting, quite an interesting book. Uh, the idea of this particular, this book, is it takes place, the, the setting itself uh, is, it's set in the uh, late 80s, in the 90s. Um, and this shines a light on a friendship between two individuals who are caught up in an effort to further desegregate Boston schools uh, during that time frame. And we had a chance to, to speak with Michael about this particular book, I, I believe there's also an audio book as well, and I think uh, both Michael uh, and his um, the individual who he becomes friends with actually uh, team up in parts of the audio book. So we'll talk with Michael about his book, and then to wrap things up, put a pretty a pretty bow on it for you. Uh, we are going to uh, talk a little bit about the, the Church of the Pilgrimage, celebrating 400-plus years of pilgrimage in America's hometown. This is an event that's taking place on the uh, the 29th and 30th of this month. And we have D.N. Arakawa. Uh, that's Reverend D.N. Arakawa and Stephen Washburn, who will be joining us to give us a kind of a rundown as to not only a little bit of a history lesson, but... Uh, prizes of some of the events that are going to be taking place on that day.
5: I love this time of year. Rustling leaves. A crisp wind blowing. Apple picking for homemade apple pie. A sunny day in a corn maze. A bonfire on a cool night. (sighs) Cigars. And a half gallon of hot apple cider. Apple pie. We made it ourselves. This has nothing to do with Brennan's Smoke Shop, but everything to do with life. It's short, yet so sweet, kind of like pumpkin spice coffee. It comes and goes like autumn wind. Brennan's Smoke Shop, Plymouth, Pembroke, Broughton, Wareham, Raynham, Taunton, Stoughton, New Bedford, Weymouth, Hudson, New Hampshire. Brennan's Smoke Shop, the very best smoke shop in Massachusetts. Customers must have a valid state or federal ID to enter the store. Message me on Facebook.
0: Download the Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk WATD. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk.
2: All right, we are back. Hey, interesting note. I didn't give. It, I didn't want to. I didn't want to dissuade uh, Gina from her uh, her traffic duties, but great to hear Gina. Gina actually was a repeat offender here on Monday Night Talk. She's been on a couple of times, and she's a well known children's book author. Uh, she did the the book The Other Green Monster, Boston's Other Green Monster, and it's not Wally, it's the the Big Dig. We actually had her on a few years ago to talk a little bit about it. So good to hear Gina on the airwaves, whether it's uh, just for. Uh, one time only or for a repeat uh, repeat and uh, doing traffic good to hear her but speaking of repeat offenders uh, is a gentleman who is uh, a regular on this particular radio program like a lot of his his colleagues who reside in the house of the Senate speaking of one uh, Dave deco state representative for your fifth Plymouth district right now I believe it's made up of uh Hanover, Rockland, and... We're all of Norwell. All of Norwell. And that's, that is going to... I, I, the rumor is that's changing.
6: Right. They, uh, we were down in door knocking this morning in, in Hanover... Excuse me, Hanson, Precinct 1. We had a wonderful lunch over Damien's. I had a few more calories than uh, I should have had, but it was a terrific. Did you get a meal. pie or did you get I, we got, we got a nice uh, We got a nice buffalo chicken pizza, and nice. it was wonderful. Very nice. It was wonderful, and a great staff over there. And um, so we got Precinct 1 in uh, Hanson and uh, Precinct 3 in Norwell, which is the Mount Blue area up towards Old Oak and Bucket, um, all went uh, to Patrick Kearney. So, and that's uh, fine. We get along with Patrick wonderfully. As a matter of fact, I think later this week we'll be down doing some North River stuff. He and I the, uh, did the, did, did you know about the clam issue? You've known all about that. And the interesting thing about the clam issue, and I, I'll, I'll admit I did not know this, when South situate and situate broke apart... South Situate now Norwell retained ownership of some clam beds, so Norwell has clam beds in Situate. Norwell has however it works, you know. There's a little entity there, kind of like East and West Berlin. (laughs) So there's there's some Norwell clam beds over there and. uh, the state has made it difficult for everyone to go dig in that area, so we're working to roll things back. It's another—it's an interesting issue. I'm I'm noticing that we have more folks from the fishing industry who have decided
2: to throw their hat in the ring mm-hmm. to be candidates for for office. Are things are are things becoming that much more difficult for folks who are commercial fishermen?
6: Yeah, I I you know I will welcome that. Uh, if by the party. And I like, uh, you know, a, a group, um, not to disparage lawyers, but we have plenty of lawyers in, in Beacon Hill. Uh, we have, uh, for instance, one candidate, great kink guy. Uh, he's since passed away. Uh, she said f- former rep. Uh, I worked with him on housing in, um, for the first three terms I was in, in the uh, legislature. A fellow named Chris Walsh. Chris was an architect by trade, and just a tremendous. And it's good to have that type of, uh, you know, that type of of background and mixed backgrounds. People who, mm. you know, build houses and 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 um, you know, nurses and doctors and they they all come onesies and twosies. And uh, there <laughs> used to be two CPAs, and now there's one. Uh, we lost uh, we lost the CPA and Randy Hunt. He's moved on to uh, uh, to greener pastures. I hope. I sold the MBTA. But you know, back to your point, it would be great to have. We do have one farmer that I know of, Normoro. All right. Who is down? Uh, he serves who me. All the right, uh, Keiko, former state rep. There you go. Uh, and now she isn't she the uh, no, no, heading that's up Keiko's Keiko's husband? I know. I get that, but yeah. she
2: she held the mantle of state right, rep right. prior to Norm. Right. Right now, I believe that she's and she headed up director of of um, when it comes to tourism in, ta- in, right. in 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 the state of Massachusetts, exactly. the Commonwealth. Right. Exactly. I've got the exact title. But I know that that she she holds that office, I and she's give the one. The
6: exact title to save my life.
2: <laughs> before before the segment is over, I will I will somehow find a way to Google the the title that uh, Keiko <laughs> has. But Norm's a good guy, you know, you know, in his own right as to what he's doing. And did you say he's a farmer?
6: Uh, there's a, he's a farmer. Uh, Representative Schmidt down towards the south coast is also a farmer. He he's a cattleman, actually. Believe it or not, did you know I have a I have a cattle ranch in Rockland. Really? There's a cattle ranch in Rockland. I You know, we've got a lot of horse stables, brig stables. I was just over there for the Special Olympics in Hanover. We've got Hornstra Farms in Norwell, and i got a cattle ranch in Rockland. And uh, all sorts of beekeepers. I'll tell you what, it probably would not surprise you because you are familiar with everything around here. But well, the number of beekeepers is tremendous. I don't want, I don't
2: want to... I don't want to <clears throat> I don't want to toot my own horn, but I actually have produced a, a an award winning bee show called "The Buzz Around Bees" uh, for Women Hanson Community Access that uh, is actually currently in its fourth season right now. Uh, but the fight is real when it comes to to to, to beekeeping. Um, and yeah, and and I will say this is that that's one thing that I'm kind of a novice gardener. I ask Christine James; she'll tell you tell you because I usually go to her for tips on gardening, She's usually real good when it comes to certain things, and giving little nuggets as to what to do, the do's and do nots, and we were actually comparing notes this morning via text about our respective gardens, but uh, I feel as though the lack of bees or the the drop in bees affected my garden this year, as I don't feel that the bees were able to get in and pollinate
6: some of my plants, so I would be able to see an abundance of fruit and vegetables. Yeah, I, I noticed that, too. I don't know if it had to do with the heat or it had to do with the fungus. I know they've got a couple of things they're working against, and some people claim that it's Roundup. There's actually a bill in the legislature to uh, to ban the active ingredient in the Roundup, um, yep. and it never makes it out of the house. Has has more than half the house sponsoring it and never moves. No, you gotta, There are a lot of things like that.
2: Well, you got to do. You got to do what you can to at least make sure that we have enough pollinators for the bees to be able to. And uh, actually, um, actually, somebody has sent me a message as to the correct uh, title for for Keiko, and that is uh, executive director. Of uh, Massachusetts travel and that comes from the the gang on Wednesday night. Uh, Mister Valenzola sent that message.
6: There you go. All right. Thank so, thank you, the county commissioner.
2: Yes. <laughs> so um, that that answers that. Um, what are you hear? What are you hearing out there? Uh, you know, being out, you've had a chance now to 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 um, get the word out about your campaign and talk about some of the issues. What are you hearing from folks now at this at this hour of the campaign?
6: Um. Well, there's there are positive things you hear about. I, matter I, of fact, I just posted on web on our uh, Facebook page the uh, the three billion dollars in tax surplus will be will be refunded, and it looks like you average citizen will get about thirteen percent. And we actually published a, a calculator there, so if anyone wants to go to Citizens for the Coast on Facebook, uh, we'll throw it up also on citizensforthecoast.com. dot com. And uh, the governor has a good page uh, outlining exactly what we're going to get. So that's going to be a little bit boost for the economy, and it should come hopefully. Um, uh, it'll be the, the, net, the exact formula will be finalized in September, uh, excuse me, October, and um, so hopefully people will be seeing that in their checks soon. How much business? Are, how much are you are you up at
2: the state house? And is there anything at this at this time? that is being done in an informal session um, that the folks should be aware of?
6: We have a couple of bills in, for local bills, for instance, in Norwell and, and Hanover to change the former government in case of Hanover. Uh, just the uh, reference. So we've got a few things working. Norwell's got a good bill in terms of allowing um, uh, by right access of uh, accessory apartments. So we're going to move that. And that, by the way, uh, housing, we hear a lot of that, and that actually is will take a small bite, maybe a more significant than small bite, out of the housing shortage if we're able to do it. And we've shared it quite a bit locally. I've talked to Selectman Hanson and Rockland about it, uh, and and Hanover both uh, John John Tuzic and Dave Delaney. We've talked a little bit about it, and, and it works. It works like this: uh, you've got a bigger house, um, and you may have a uh, uh, older family member, younger family member, family member who was ill for medical reasons, and then it just lets you uh, divide up uh, the house into a smaller accessory department by right, which means you don't have to go through in, in front of the, a lot of the committees you would normally have to do that. Still have some rules in terms of the size, but um, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. Now, how would that affect housing? Well, it's quite simple. Um, many people, particularly with... Uh, you know, family members, they won't be able to have family close by and and maybe not put them in they need to downsize, but they don't want to go into a, a separate unit. Well, to allow your family to open up a piece of you know produce a separate apartment at your house and and um, uh, they can live there and And the other beauty is it doesn't you know it doesn't it allows people to use maybe some you hear the term overhoused a lot mm-hmm. and uh, it you, you know will reduce that factor. And um, keep families together, keep uh, people, uh, allow them to live, you know, have a modicum of privacy, but still nearby families, and that helps with illnesses and, of course, developmentally disabled people who are capable of independent living, all those all those things. And I think if that is uh, implemented widely, um, I think you're going to see that will the change in housing will be... Um, if not significant though it will certainly move the needle a bit is it
2: necessarily that we need to build more housing or is it a matter of that we need to modify how we how we zone certain parts of communities or certain areas in and around the south shore oh,
6: both um both, and it depends where uh, in areas that we represent, you know and I <laughs> just want to go on to 40B, but there they, let's take a look at some of the housing that you know you can't cookie cutter uh, use cookie cutter legislation to push housing and that's tend to, tends to be a lot of times what we do. We gave a blank uh, blank requirement regardless of the amount of buildable property, the type of property, the availability of transportation, the availability of water. Uh, And as you know, we have significant water and and sewerage issues in a number of our communities. And the trend, in all cases, tends to be going down. Um, So, um, in some cases, um, the solution is not importing more people. Now, uh, in other cases, you talk to a lot of, of my colleagues from Gateway Cities, and there's a lot of room for... Uh, Increased building in their communities. You talk to people in Lowell, Lynn Lawrence, uh, Taunton, New Bedford, Fall River, uh, Brockton, uh, Worcester, Springfield. um, A lot of those communities, particularly where you have, um, you know, modes of transportation, right, through train, rail, um, you know, water. Um, In those cases, you know, highways going through many cases, you'll find, a great deal of underutilized space, buildings that can be converted. And in that case, the state, and I agree with this, the state offers incentives and needs to offer more incentives uh, in order to uh, increase the density of of, uh, buildings in those areas, population density in those areas. It's because
2: it seems to me the biggest thing that I notice, and I'm somebody who because of my job I have to pay attention to what happens in various municipalities and while we are suffering from a housing crisis there are a lot of communities that there are folks who want to push back and say no I don't want you to build this I don't want you to put this project here if it's going to be a multi uh, multi, um, housing you know unit that's going to have multiple housing um um units that they don't want it they don't want it in their backyard and they're, they're fearful of the strain that it will cause to the school and um, um, public safety mm-hmm. um, individuals you know in, in, the, in the community itself um, when does push come to shove?
6: Well I'm, I've always thought that the best way to deal with that is to uh, work with the local officials so I can give you uh, examples of really bad, uh, developments that, uh, that have a great deal of opposition. Shingle Mill in Rockland, I think that's ended, and that would—that's a good thing. Uh, the Simon Hill project in Norwell, that's a bad idea. The River Marsh uh, project that I've been working with Representative Cutler on and uh, Senator Moran, Senator O'Connor—I think we're universally agreed that that is a bad idea. In- incidentally, I was rejected virtually the same. A uh, project uh, was proposed as a private project in private sector and was rejected out of hand and rightly so. Uh, more or less more or less identical project under the auspices of 40b is proposed and the town of pembroke has to take a look at it so that's uh that's one of the problems with 40b now let's talk about some positive things we've got uh a friendly 40b going up in the holy family school in rockland i have not i i think i'm safe in saying certainly i I have not heard any opposition i think that has 100 support everyone thinks that's a good idea uh, another example was the Cushing housing over in uh, uh, St. and Cardinal Cushing Center, right by the... Great idea. Hanover. Again, Hanover, yep. right? Uh, and, and again, 100% support of that. Um, so there are um, Legion housing in Hanover. Works works quite well. And that, that one up. So um, there are a number of uh, possible and current... Uh, things that are done, things that are, you know, finishing up. I think Holy Family hopefully will be finishing soon, and they'll be cutting a ribbon. Um, they just cut uh, uh, a ribbon for some newly renovated housing down in this Rockland Center. And again, something that had 100% support. But I, I think to trust, uh, and it's generally, by the way, a, a thrust of my campaign that that locally it's best to trust at the... At the levels, and whether the level be parents making decisions about how their children are educated and medical decisions about their children, or local officials having direct input and and the ability to control uh, good developments and bad developments in their communities, um, as opposed to the state bureaucrats mandating um, mandating developments, I think are are is preferable.
2: Yeah, and if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Dave DeCoste, a state representative for the 5th Plymouth District. He is our guest, and he's here with us for a couple of more moments. I uh, want to give you a moment to at least, again, remind folks about uh, your campaign. And maybe even if you want to take a moment to bring up, maybe there's, there hasn't, there's a, a particular item or issue... That you know what it, it isn't seen as being a, a top five issue, mm-hmm. but you feel that it's a um, an issue that you're well versed at, and that folks have to rem- remember that you are somebody who carries
6: the the torch and somebody who has has worked hardest for them up on Beacon Hill. Well, I can I can I don't know if it's top five, but certainly supporting law enforcement in my view. And I think, in very many people's view in the district, uh, we would rank as a top five. Uh, I think I, I am concerned about the professional, the profession of law enforcement and more broadly public safety. And um, <clears throat> the idea of, of uh, you know, the professions being being potentially hurt by legislation coming up. I, if I can't plug, Please. we've got a fundraiser for Tim Cruz, and I think you will have uh, 100%, I think I'm safe in saying, 100% of the law enforcement communities in Hanover, Norwell, and Rockland, and Hanson, uh, I think are behind uh, District Attorney Cruz. It's uh, this... Uh, this Thursday at Quan's Kitchen in Hanover at 6 p.m. So stop by and and you can talk to the district attorney. He's a fantastic guy and he's doing a fantastic job. I don't know you probably heard you know, Plymouth County is in the top one percent uh, of uh, the safest counties in America. He's doing a terrific job, and along with uh, Sheriff McDonald, we have a terrific county law enforcement team and it's a good idea to uh keep hold of it do so i have a couple more seconds because i can talk about you, another issue you if you want to kind of throw in there uh, <laughs> well i could talk i could talk to you every year i work and it's kind of interesting because we work uh you know with a more conservative republicans team up with some of our folks who maybe are on the more progressive in the progressive caucus of the legislature and we have been uh pushing the wet noodle Along on uh, foster care issues and making foster care and the DCF system work better, and every year we have uh, we have made a lot of progress. And I hope I'm I'm already coordinating with, uh, you know, in the hope that we get good news on November eighth uh, that we we can make some additional positive changes in that. Uh. I, I will say
2: so. If this is the for district attorney Tim Cruz, right. uh, and it's at Quans, which is actually one of my favorite. Uh, we'll swing
6: cra- by. We'll comp you. How about that? You can do <laughs> it. You're <laughs> a news. You're a news person. Come on in. They, you know, they serve fantastic food.
2: They do. They do. They do. And I have to say, is also that uh, I'm, I'm a sushi fan, and they have a sushi bar
6: there too. So it's <laughs> it's definitely fantastic. Folks want to find out more about your campaign. How can they uh, get involved? Uh, they can go to our Facebook, which is Citizens for Dusk, uh Citizens for the Coast. They can go to Citizens. The coast.com which we're updating excellent representative again thank you for
2: coming uh, at a moment's notice or, or whenever needed to to discuss some of the things that are happening not
6: only up uh on the hill but uh here in your district thanks you not uh, it's always a pleasure to be on uh, monday night talk evan excellent we are going to step aside and till when we come back big wheel keeps moving
2: more monday night talk here at 959 wetv
0: is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD.
7: McGuigan's Pub is an upscale Irish pub with all the class of a Boston pub. The menu offers favorites like steak tips, fish and chips, meatloaf, as well as burgers, sandwiches and pizza. The relaxed, comfortable atmosphere at McGuigan's makes it the perfect place to eat, drink and socialize with family and friends. New hours are Tuesday through Thursday, 4 to close. Friday through Sunday, 11.30 to close. McGuigan's Pub is at 546 Washington Street in Whitman with the full menu available at mcguiganspub.com.
8: Don't miss out on the free health and lifestyle expo created specifically for South Shore seniors. Join the 28th Annual Senior Celebration at Lombardo's in Randolph. Your hits from J.D., Billy, and Ken, Boston's original oldies band. Take part in raffles, giveaways, health screenings, and educational seminars. Meet with dozens of vendors and learn about products and services designed for today's seniors. The 28th Annual Senior Celebration is free and open to the public Wednesday, October 12th from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. For more details, to exhibit, or sponsor, visit SouthShoreSenior.com. Hey, it's John Shea
3: here from Almost Famous Radio. Every Tuesday night, 8 till 10, introducing you to independent bands and musicians from across New England, brought to you by Tiny and Son's Glass. Coming up tomorrow night, it's all about the 2022 New England Music Awards. I'll be joined in studio by one of their representatives to talk about many of the featured artists this year and about the award show itself. So tune in tomorrow, 8 till 10, for almost most famous, 95.9 WATD at 95.9 WATD.com.
0: Find Monday Night Talk on Facebook and share your opinions. Go to 95.9 WATD.com
2: slash Monday Night Talk. All right, uh, we are back. Joining us right now is uh, Brockton At-Large Counselor and... Uh, a, uh, a Democratic candidate for the state representative seat, the 11th Plymouth District. We have Rita Mendez who's joining us. Counselor, state rep to be, how are you?
9: Hello. How are you? Uh, it's so great to be here on your show again, and I have to tell you, it feels a whole lot better today than the last time when I was there at the debate. So I'm doing fantastic.
2: <laughs> what What is your, when you got when you got word that you were successful in getting the Democratic knob nod on uh, primary night? What What was that like?
9: <laughs> it, it's It's um, great that you asked me that question because we worked so hard for so many months. And we never know what the results will be like until people actually go out there and vote. And just to see the trust from the community, the people behind you, supporting you, and it's just something um, powerful, but also that responsibility because they trust me now to do something for them, to actually represent them in such this important uh, capacity. So now I, I owe it to them, so I have to just make sure I honor that each and every day, going back to the people that elected me to to be their representative. So now that I'm, I'm the um, state rep, the nominee, the democratic nominee, then that, that hits you. It takes a few days to really realize that big of of uh, a trust from the community to put you there in that capacity, and and that is 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 huge, especially for me coming from where I came from and how I came here in this country. And it's just really the land of opportunities. Is, is is just amazing for someone that came here, didn't speak the language, went to public schools, uh, Massasoit, UMass, and then became an attorney, and then today to be elected by the people of Brockton to represent them as the first minority from that city of Brockton to be serving in the state House. I'm just looking forward to this. i'm I'm so hopeful and excited and I'm just honored to really be um, in this position.
2: what What are some of the things at to this date right now? what what are some of the big items that uh, that are going on in the city of Brockton? the latest news? Uh, regarding the city council, the city of Brockton, and, and something that, you know, you're already looking at, you know, working on uh, when you are uh, up on Beacon Hill.
9: Yes. The number one thing that people always ask me when I'm at the doors and I'm talking to people and... Um, the city of Brockton, we do have the homeless population in this district is in the heart of Brockton. It, it covers the North Main Street with the other bills is with the shelter is. So people always ask, um, what What can we do about it? What is going on? There's projects to move the shelter to a different location in Brockton and have um, wrap around services for the homeless population. So they ask an update on that, how that's going and the funding and um, things in that nature. So people are really concerned because we know that mental health is a a big issue and and housing is a big issue and uh, the homeless population need more assistance and they want to see them taken care of, but they're just like taking shifts on the streets, really, um, they're at the traffic lights and it keeps on increasing the numbers. So that seems to be uh, a huge concern for people. So that has to be... The number one priority when I get there to make sure that we are able to to somehow uh, provide more services and uh, address the homeless population in Brockton, especially in the downtown area, where there's so much investments going on. So we definitely need to do more uh, in that area. I,
2: I know that it was it was a while ago that uh, under previous administrations that there was a uh, there was a homeless site that was that was moved. You know you, get, um, uh, f- uh, you know, you have the mainspring in downtown Brockton. I mean, is there a thought to see if if affordable housing, or if, if housing for folks who are in need is is a way? I mean, is there something mm-hmm. that can be done collectively between a nonprofit like um, Father Bill's Mainspring and the state? Yes, and, and that, that is exactly what we
9: need, affordable housing. Uh, with wraparound services, so that people that has uh, the mental health disability to be able to get those services, so they can stay in their homes and not be out on the street. Because some people they can't, we can't just give them housing because if they have other mental health issues and drug addictions, and they need more services. So there's definitely more that needs to be done than just giving them the housing. That's just the first step but also to make sure that they'll stay housed and they'll have their needs met. So uh, a wrap around services in that area is is definitely needed um, desperately in the city of Brockton. Affordable housing in general is needed all across the state, but yet even in Brockton, it's just becoming so expensive and the rents are going up um, every day and just like everywhere else. So at some point, we need to tackle that as a state as well. That's
2: an issue as well. You know, building, you know, one of the key components to building is is water and knowing that this year we are uh, in basically dr- living through drought conditions yet again for another fifth to sixth year. Well, I should say fifth or sixth year, but it's the, the third time in the past six or seven years that we've seen uh, very low um, rainfall and it's affected um, Silver Lake. What are the discussions in regards to water? And I mean, if that's going to be something to building more housing for the homeless pop- population, does that also play a role?
9: Yeah, absolutely. And especially, we, we've all lived through the drought uh, situation. You go uh, to the houses and the grass is all brown because this year it's just been um Terrible. So yeah, housing is is, um, is an issue, but also the water and the drought and how to make sure we provide that. And Brockton even provides water to the surrounding um, communities uh, outside of Brockton as well. So we need to keep in mind that we're responsible for the communities in our areas uh, around Brockton as well as in Brockton for um, our own residents. So that is something that... We definitely as a city council and the mayor needs to be mindful of and and I think that's everywhere as well um, water is a, a huge issue as well so yes I agree I agree
2: now if you had a chance to sit down with the mayor I mean up, upon you know winning the the Democratic nomination having no Republican nominee um, what if you, what is your conversation been with uh, mayor Sullivan
9: Yes, the Mayor is extremely supportive uh we've talked and um he's excited to uh work with me on the legislation and the state House and uh, offered uh the city hall in order to do office hours and it's exciting because my name is the only name on the ballot so so that makes it um easier, but I'm still working. I'm still campaigning. I'm still out there. I'm still talking to people just to make sure that they still go out and vote in November because it's very easy for people to read all the news and just think that I'm already elected and then forget to go back and vote in November. (laughs) So I'm still pushing the people to make sure, okay, yes, that's great, but just don't forget to also go back there and vote November 8th. So... That's important as well. But the, yes, the mayor has been very supportive and other colleagues in the city council has been supportive. And um, yeah, the people in general, are, are making my phone calls, thanking people and people are just calling and, and congratulating me and offering their support, expertise, um, reaching out to all the legislators to just sit and talk to them and just get the insight feedback and things that they think I should be doing more. Just, just really getting to know people because when I need to pass anything for Brockton, I need to make sure I get their vote. So it's easier to talk to them now as opposed to just calling them when I need their vote or when the uh, situation's out there and, and is a little bit more tense. So it's nicer now at this level to just making that connections with people and building up those relationships, which is crucial.
2: And I think you've already said and again, if folks are just tuning in, we are speaking with uh, Rita Mendez. She is not only an at-large city councilor, but uh, she has uh, she has secured the um, the Democratic nomination for state rep. No, she has there's no Republican that's going to be on the ballot come November. But she still wants you to vote. Uh, you're, still gonna, you're still going to you're um, still going to remain a city councilor until. Next fall, when they have the elections and be a state rep, huh?
9: Yes, so next year will certainly be um, entertaining and, and exciting. I will not be bored because I will be very busy, both at the State House and here locally in the city of Brockton. So this year, I'm transitioning my law office and just hiring uh, another attorney, taking on my cases and transitioning my career. So that way, starting on january 3rd when we get sworn in i can uh, just get to work on day one and that will be my full-time job in boston at the state house and then the city council will be supposedly they say it's a part-time job it's really not but that will be i <laughs> uh, <laughs> a part-time job how I, I managed to do so instead of just having my law practice and i will be uh, in boston at the state house but it will certainly be dynamic to just be that bridge between the state house and the city council. So I think the city will definitely benefit from it because then I will be bringing whatever is happening at the state level to the local level. So I think that will be amazing transition um, to the people in practice. So I am excited for that. Looking forward to it. I like challenges.
2: <laughs> any any melancholy where, you cause again, you're talking about, you know, kind of putting your law practice... Uh, you, you're going to focus 100 percent on being a, a state lawmaker. It, it, what, did it take a lot of thought, you know, in consideration before you said, you know what, I, I'm going to have to pause my law practice and and you know f- f- have a singular focus. What went into that thought process? Yes, and
9: and I agree with you because it's not just somewhat given up your practice and your career because I I practice immigration I'm completely passionate really helping people but it's also get a pay cut because obviously I make more money as an attorney my own law practice and now really going to full-time public service but it's it's a calling when you feel you really need to be there to help in the community and the people more in that level and my sentiment at this point is more that I am um, not representing the entire city because right now I'm citywide and as a state representative will just be a portion of the city of Brockton. So I just feel for the rest of the residents that are no longer my district. So they'll be forever. I'll be forever representing them in some capacity just because I've, I've been so attached to them. And even when they went out to vote, they calling me, crying like, "Are you not a Democrat? Are you not in my ballot?" I had to explain it to them that unfortunately <laughs> they're no longer in my district, but I'm still a Democrat, and everything was fine, and I'm still here for them. If they need anything, please call. But that's then my my most that that I am still trying to deta- detach in a way that that I don't have the citywide, and it, I'm I'm in the. Portion of the cities, so I have to be mindful of the lines, this imaginary line. That's the hardest thing for me. I'm like, oh, oh. So um, I'm, I'm, I like the entire city. So I'm, I'm getting used to
2: that. <laughs> let's, let's talk a little bit. Have you had a chance to speak with uh, other representatives who are part of the legislative delegation? Um, you know, you, Michelle Dubois, who represents the 10th Plymouth district. You've got Jerry Cassidy. You have state senator uh, Mike Brady. Now, I know between between Mike Brady and Mich- Michelle Dubois, both of them were city... Of- Michelle was, uh, you know, um, Ward 6 city councilor. And then she was elected and held both the city post and the, um, the state post. Uh, I believe that... Um, Senator Brady was a state rep, and also held on to his ward two city council seat. Um, did you get any advice from them in regards to you know before you considered holding on to your city you know the city post and taking on the state post? Yes, um, it it
9: seems to be uh, the norm at least in the city of Brockton. Should just go through that transition only because next year, January, right after the, the November election, people are already going to start campaigning for um, city council, especially for council at large, since they know it's going to be no seat. Oh, yeah. So it's very hard for the city to go through the cost to have an, an special election during an election year. And, and what happens, it may just be um, an empty seat. and I So that's the reason why it just seems to be the normal transition, just to finish your term, not run for re-election and allow someone else to just go through that electoral process and, and just take on the seat. But yes, uh, they've been very supportive. Um, Jerry, Cassidy, Mike Brady, Michelle, they're all amazing and just providing welcoming into to that family. And they've just been uh, completely Uh, very nice people, super amazing, supportive. They're there if I need anything, they're they're open and it's just nice because we're going to have to work together to get things done and pass for the city of Brockton. So it's good to already start building those relationships in a deeper level because obviously they've been amazing since when I was city councilor, but now As part of of the the state So it would be nice uh, to be working with them. And they're just uh, so knowledgeable. So I'm sure they'll be guiding me at the state house. yes.
2: Well, we want to thank you for joining us, and we're going to look forward to having you on uh, many more times as part of the the, uh, representative and Senate uh, candidates, uh, not candidates, but those folks who have, uh, you know, are elected. So we look forward to having you on. Thank you. Have a great night, bye. Here she is, Rita Mendez. We'll be back. Hour number two ahead. ATV-FM Marshfield,
0: WBMS Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather, WATD. Streaming online at 95.9WATD.com and with your smart speaker just by saying play WATD.
4: Days after powerful Hurricane Ian hit Florida.
10: We've had more than 1,900 rescues.
4: President Biden in hurricane-stricken Puerto Rico.
10: We came here in
7: person to show that we're with you.
4: A new term and a new Supreme Court justice. Ketanji Brown Jackson became the first black woman on the bench. This is the CBS World News Roundup Late Edition. I'm Jennifer Kuyper in Chicago, in southwestern Florida. Oh, hi, hi. They're picking up the pieces days after Hurricane Ian. At least 95 deaths have been confirmed in Florida and four in North Carolina. CBS's Jason Allen is in Englewood, Florida.
7: Pop your trunks, stay in
3: your vehicles. The National Guard is handing out critical supplies to storm-weary residents at distribution points like in Englewood, Florida. As flooding and storm surge from Hurricane Ian transformed lives and landscapes, boats are piled on top of buildings in Fort Myers Beach. The entire
4: area now deemed unsafe. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says some progress is being right made. Right
10: now, statewide, 95% of customers have power.
4: President Biden traveled to Puerto Rico today to see the damage done by Hurricane Fiona last month. More from CBS's Stephen Portnoy.
5: Visiting Ponce on Puerto Rico's southern coast, the president vowed the federal government will help rebuild the island faster than after past storms.
7: And rebuild it in a resilient way. So you don't, when storms come again, which they will are not having the damage they caused before.
5: Mr. Biden pledged $60 million from the bipartisan infrastructure law he signed last year will go to building new levees and flood warning systems.
4: The president visits Hurricane Ian stricken southwestern Florida on Wednesday. Just in, North Korea fires an unspecified ballistic missile, which Japanese media says has flown over Japan. The nation's highest court is back at work with several cases on the docket that could overturn legal precedents. It has also been the first day on the bench for Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. CBS's Skyler Henry reports.
3: Justice Jackson was an active participant in the first arguments, including in a case challenging the EPA's authority to regulate wetlands under the Clean Water Act, 404G is unenlightening as to the meaning of waters in the eye. Well,
9: let me let me let me try to bring some enlightenment to it.
5: Many observers believe the Supreme Court 6-3 conservative supermajority will continue to push the country further to the right.
4: The highest-level trial to date in the U.S. Capitol attack gets underway in Washington. CBS's Scott McFarland on opening statements. The
3: Justice Department said this group of five accused Oath Keeper seditious conspiracy defendants plotted to block the peaceful transfer of power in america even staging firearms outside the city limits
4: wall street soars to its best gain since july the dow closed up 765 points now this
3: presented by rocket mortgage whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours rocket mortgage can help you get there for home loan solutions that
10: fit your life rocket can good evening a blustery start to the month of October, feeling more like November, with a storm center now out over the Atlantic Ocean. This is part of what was Hurricane Ian, and it's going to start backing our way. Now, overnight into Tuesday morning, can be a bit of mist or shower, especially near Buzzards Bay, the Plymouth area, the Upper Cape, in the mid 40s to near 50. And we're going to stay with that raw wind off the ocean. A lot of clouds, a shower, some rain developing, a high of 59. By Tuesday night, the rain getting steadier at times, near 50, and even heavier. Into Wednesday, some downpours with gusty winds, a high of 59. Thursday, a milder trend getting underway with some sun, a high near 70. Friday looks nice with sunshine, the high 73. And then more fall-like for the upcoming weekend. For WATD, I'm meteorologist Rob Gilman.
0: This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Each year, about one out of two men
3: and one out of three women will develop
0: cancer. But
3: there's good news. Today's cancer survival odds are much better than two or even three years ago. Things move that fast. So if you're diagnosed, be sure to have someone in your corner who is on top of all the latest cancer treatments and techniques, the latest research, the newest equipment, all the newest medicines available through clinical trials. And speaking of corners, here's more good news. Advanced Cancer Care is now just around the corner. The Green Cancer Center at Signature Healthcare treats patients locally with all oncology services and specialties conveniently housed under one roof. The center is affiliated with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center so you'll be seen by Harvard Medical Faculty Physicians and Oncologists. The Green Cancer Center at Signature Healthcare, in affiliation with Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Cancer has just met its match. Find out why at mysignaturecare.org slash cancercare.
9: That truck, it pays? What? The bumper sticker on that truck says it pays. Pays? Pays what? I can't quite read it. Oh, it pays to stay way back. Ah, what was that? The truck, snapback or rock. Now I've got a broken windshield.
2: I'm Peter Brown of Tiny and Sons Auto Glass in Pembroke. It pays to stay way back. However, if your windshield is broken, just call 1-888-64-TINYS. And thank you.
0: Invest your time in listening to Cape Retirement Radio and learn a smarter approach to investing so you can protect your future. Cape Retirement Radio, featuring Chris Latond, Thursday nights at 6.15 and Sunday mornings at 10 on 95.9 WATD. Download the Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk, WATD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi.
2: All right, we return. Uh, don't forget later on this hour, we can talk a little bit about the Church of the Pilgrimage, celebrating 400 plus years of pilgrimage in Plymouth. As we have Reverend Deanne Arakawa and Stephen Washburn we'll be here to talk about the events that are going to be coming up later this month. But right now, joining us is a gentleman who is an author. here to talk a little bit about his book. Neighborhood lines. Now I know that he was. He's already been on in the morning.
1: Yes, with we actually, Rob. We That's asked great. him to,
2: to come in for different demographic to uh, tell us a little
1: bit about his book. Uh, first, let's tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, I was in high school in 1992, 88 to 92. That was the time frame. The book, yep. um, but uh, I I live in. In South Shore, I have three little kids, uh, three, five, and nine. And uh, nice, good ages. I'm a um, actually, I'm an electrical contractor. i uh, do work in the city, and I've been in the Union 103 since I was pra- 18, right when I got out of high school. What? Uh, what? So was a lot it? of different things going on in my the, world. Yeah. What? You know,
2: I, I I've <coughs> interviewed many authors, many authors. Some that have who it's their passion to write books. Some who feel as though they have a story to tell and they want to sit down and they want to write it. It could be a one of, it could be a series. What was it that got into your system and said, you know what, I need to write a book and I need to write about, you know, a time in my life when things weren't right, but yet, you know what, while they were were issues culturally, that something good came out of that situation.
1: Well, the funny part about this is that back, I, I had to, uh, I went to UMass Boston to finish off my college credits and one of them was a writing class and uh, the teacher said, I want you to write a story, I want you to write a full story and I want you to write about something that really moves you. And so that is what I realized, I, I searched in my mind and I said, what else can I write about? Is about all these things that are really blowing my mind at the time, which was life in the 90s and the and the experiences that I had been living through uh, day in and day out. So I wrote it back then. That's the foundation of the story. And then in 2018, uh, I, I always had a passion to write. I wrote a few other stories. And so they're just things that really move me that I want to write about. And um one one of my stories was about uh, my grandfather's World War II missions like that. so i'm a, I like to write. I like to I like history, but this really this topic and and this story I needed needed to come out of me, and it really did move me back then and it now it, it's moved me even more. so because
2: it's different. This is you lived, you lived through this. This is something that's kind of a you know, your personal biopic, but it was during a time when we're looking at, you know, you know, buses had a history in regards to racial tension. Uh, its various crises, one of them like a busing crisis. Um, you you write a story about yourself and a gentleman named Cornell. Yes. Um, kind of give us give us the backstory to this to to this particular book.
1: So a decade earlier, the city was. Filled with racial tension in the busing crisis, so this is 1988, eight years later, so to speak, and um, there was a lot of people leaving the city. They called it the white flight to head to the to the surrounding areas to so that their children didn't have to be in that that predicament or that environment um, sure. where they're being uh, there's some violence going on, and and, and kids were really. Um, challenge, having challenging experiences at school and going from across the city to uh, to the other side of the city. Um, so I had gone to uh, a Catholic high school in the city. I was going to go to uh, Don Bosco. I went there for a few days, and then I went to uh, a couple of different schools. But I ended up at a high school where there was about 15 to 20% first year, all Irish, Catholic, first year where they have any, any ethnicity in there. And... Um, I'm sitting in a classroom with Cornell. He's my... Uh, my name's Murphy. His name's Mills. So we just happened to be sitting side by side for for the next four years. And uh, it became a very unique experience where we would be... We we were in this racially-fueled uh, environment, and we had to have these conversations about that. So where people just kind of not want to talk about it and just let it fly under the radar and not not really express themselves... It was such an uh, air that you could feel. We had to talk to each other about it and say, oh, this is what this kid said. And this is how this kid feels. And, and so we kept continually developing in our relationship through conflict and having these conversations.
2: What were some of the stories that you heard in regards to the particular busing crisis itself?
1: Oh, um, so many. I've heard so many. I've, it, even since I've read the book, I've heard. I wrote the book. I've had so many different experiences in um, uh, conversations with people that have had positive experiences and negative experiences. But um, it, it really was a challenging time for the whole entire city. And you had uh, it was a political issue at that point, where the fire firemen and the police department and the uh, the uh, teachers union and all these. Um, Different characters in our in our history were for it, against it, pushing for it, and it just continually, uh, you know, inflamed and fueled into um, riots or, um, you know, f- violence, violent uh, yeah. situations. Um, I, as I said, I wrote the book in UMass at, uh, when I went to UMass Boston. This time around, it was so crazy that when I was researching I did research I researched all the challenges in, in the in the, uh, the Judge Garrity case and his verdict and his notes but I ended up coming ac- upon the most amazing resource which was at UMass Boston. Ooh. They have the at the very back, back page of the book you can see it's it's called this, the the um, stark and subtle division it's an exhibit of everything about the busing um, times of Boston. So they have the letters, they have the f- court files, they have everything, and so I would I went in there and I was reading these. And you look at the archives. I looked at all the archives. Wow! And there were so many positive experiences from black kids and white kids saying this was such a challenge. I was so scared, but actually I met this person and they became the, my best friend for life. And and this, so there was so many um, different stories, but. I wanted to write about this positive story where we overcame our challenges. We understood each other's point of views, and we have a really good relationship now. And that's what I wanted to write about. W- were there were there times during or early on
2: in your relationship with Cornell that yeah. you're too sure that you guys were going to forge a friendship? Because oh, yeah. again, when you're just getting yeah. to know each other,
1: oh, yeah, the first year. Year and a half was really challenging in terms of me aligning with my friends from South Boston and Dorchester and Adams Corner and Quincy and and and, and uh, you know trying to make sure that you know I wasn't crossing the line and where, where did I stand on that and and um, and then making sure that I didn't uh, you know with him and his point of views I was you know we we talked about everything we talked about affirmative action we talked about at that time. The um, the uh, white housing projects was where th- there was an NAACP case against the 1968 Fair Housing Act, um, where Charleston and South Boston um, housing projects were being uh, sued by the NAACP for um, racial um, bias in terms of giving homes, uh, giving the low income housing to. So it was a very, and here we are with all these people that live in this neighborhood and live in this neighborhood, and and everybody's fearing that it's they're being taken over or they're losing their territory, and they're or they're losing their high school or their friend or their mother had a bad experience at this, and so these biases or these these opinions um, really they really run deep, in and. And so I, I just sat and I watched that all, and it it affected me.
2: As as a first time writer, what were the challenges that you you had to deal with in writing this? Because everybody deals with where you you get to a point. Maybe you write it, then you're rereading and you reread it, and go, I, I don't know if I'm really coming across correctly, or you know, even writer's block. Sometimes you get to a point like,
1: oh, I, I don't know how to go on. What did you face for challenges? Well, I faced a lot of challenges because I hadn't written or taken a class in a long time, but I I definitely knew that if I wrote what I felt in my heart and I told about these these stories and these experiences and recreated them, I felt that it would be very authentic. So what I what I did um do is because it was it was such a touchy subject, I was kind of concerned about, well, who wants to listen to you know, a, a white guy tell a story about you know a black kid and his experiences going to a white school. So I couldn't really tell that story uh, authentically, other than what I knew from Cornell's experiences and my friend Nelson's experiences and all of um, these kids that had these these experiences. But I would I would refer and I would talk. I had a woman from Baltimore, uh, a black woman from Baltimore, help me with some of the different. Um, you know, community, black community, uh, and, and as well as as Nate and Nelson. I actually, when I finished my first ver, ver, uh, completion of the story, I put it in front of them. I said, "What do you think?" And uh, you know, even you know, they were like, "How the hell did you do this?" You know, "Wow, I can't believe you wrote this." And uh, and they gave me a few tweaks, and and I, I made it more authentic to to the Boston, Dorchester, Roxbury black communities, um, but. Um, that that was my biggest thing was I was fe- I was fearing publishing a book about this topic, but I all I really cared about was that it was extremely authentic um, to, to the issue and to the experiences that
2: people had. So again, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with uh, Michael Patrick Murphy. He is the author of Neighborhood Lines also. Uh, not only does he have the book, but also he has the audio book. That uh, I actually just myself uh, downloaded and plan on listening to tomorrow while I'm I'm doing work, so I can I can hear it myself. Um, talking about putting that, giving them the manuscript to the book. Did it take a lot for you? to Give it to them? Would you kind of like? I mean, something like that's a big decision, and and knowing that. What if you're not? What if you're not? putting it in the right context, how are they going to take it? Did it take a lot to give it to them? And then um, what was it like to receive their feedbacks like hey, you might want to make a couple of you know tweaks here and here. Yeah.
1: yeah, I had I had a lot of fear giving it to them. Um, I was uh, afraid that I got it wrong or they didn't see it the way I was trying to portray it. Uh, or I was too too uh, soft on the reality of the opinions coming from these conflicts that we had or these discussions or these potential beefs that we had in the schoolyard um, but i I was looking for their help and looking for their support to make sure I got it right and uh, they welcomed that and um, you know I, and one of them even one of them actually I, I I don't tell this story often but one of them said you brought me to tears, man. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. So I, I knew then that I, that that's what, all it mattered to me in this whole process was that I was a, I gave him what I he needed to bring him to tears over the authenticity, over the over the uh, you know the pat. He felt my passion of getting this book out, and uh, he really he
2: felt it. Now, did you have to depict any particular? Um, major fights or violence that takes place and what was it like to try to spell that out and try to recall all of it accurately
1: yeah uh, i remember this and if you listen to the audiobook if you go to audible and you listen to neighborhood lines there's a sample so it's five minutes very short but that was this was i recall um that was the scene that really actually happened in life where in 1992 at south boston high school and i was mentioned this to you earlier that mayor flynn reported to the school with a lot of police and and different uh faculty and there was a fight that broke out and he actually got hit in the neck with a bottle and so meanwhile that was happening at, at south boston high that was kind of traveling throughout the day and festering throughout other schools and where our school was boiling up at that point. And um, there was threats that there were kids from Salty coming over to the school and there were other black kids coming over from Dorchester and there was going to be this riot over here as well. And so I created that scene and that's that five-minute sample. But um it's 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 real and I, and I, I think uh, the feedback people people really love that scene. Do, do you feel that you were able to confidently, um, you know, the hype?
2: Were you able to, to confidently put that hype in there and, and not not to not to have you tip your hand here? Yeah. But do you feel that the hype lived up to whatever whatever violence occurred?
1: Yeah, I think that the, the the build of all these things, the, you know, the, yeah, we'll tip the hand. The, you know, it's diffused. I'll tip it a little bit, but the, it gets diffused. <laughs> but it's it's the it's that momental momentum in the build, and, the you know, everybody has has these feelings about these topics, and all of a sudden, it's all it gets. It's a it's the uh, what a, it's actually the match on the gasoline, wow. and it was very very close to the explosion of of a bad incident. So, anybody who's
2: listening to this, anybody who who wants to go out, purchase the book, or even like I did, purchase the audio book. I'm a fan of both whether it's reading it or or listening to it. Um, what do you feel the what lessons important lessons can be learned from this book?
1: Well as i as when i wrote this book obviously the two main characters are in high school and i had just just three four years out of high school and and so i think it's it's for the people my age or older that with with, were lived through the bossing or or students that are in their what they're experiencing now so i feel like it's good for um all different levels of of ages and 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 because this is such a, a topic in the world but um I think there's so many lessons of of racism, of, of bias, of choices, the choices that you make in life, shape, shape your life forever. Um, good versus evil with, there's so much good versus evil in the decisions that people and why they're making in their decisions that they make. Um, and then I think that the best thing is about the, what comes out of it. I, I was open. I stayed open. I stayed neutral in my own thoughts. He challenged my thoughts about where I came from with an Irish Catholic family and my Irish Catholic friends. And he challenged me and, and, uh, instead of fighting, I, I stayed open to it. And and that's what helped us have conflict resolution over every topic that came up every other day. But then it also helped me integrate human relationship, which has led into many more uh, relationships with all different uh, my my diverse friends that I have. You know?
2: And you said, I think you you were telling me uh, before we we started our conversation here that in fact you didn't do the you did the audio book, but yeah. you didn't do it alone. He actually he actually joined you
1: yes yes i i i did the. i went down the narrated path the, the professional narration path for a while I, was, I had six months of listening to auditions and, and you know professional narrators and i was like ah, this isn't really ringing true to me I, I don't really if it's a white guy then he's not really sounding like a true black man and if it's a black man he's really not trying like a true white man and they don't have the boston accent and the emotion isn't there because they didn't really feel and live that experience. Yeah. So I called him up. I said, hey, you want to try this? Let's get in the studio and try it. And he's like, all right, let's go. When are we going? And we did it. Yeah. One take to take a few takes. Oh, we, we did it for a few months. Yeah. We, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, you know, we, we, we got our, we got our uh, legs underneath us and then we really hit the stride. But yeah, we did it in down at Cyber Sound and on Newberry Street and they helped us through it. But no, he you know he he sounds great. I think uh, you know we sound pretty good and as authentic as can be. So,
2: do you feel do, when we look at uh, at America and the, the current racial divisiveness in our country, do you feel that we that any strides have been made have been made um, since 1992, or do you feel as though that um, we still have a, a long ways to go?
1: Well, to be honest with you, I thought we had. Uh, we had made some strides, and, and, and you know, I, I did question myself whether or not in 2018 that I should be bringing this topic up, because maybe it's not as relevant as it was when I first wrote it, and I really felt that way for a minute, and then, boom, the whole world changed, and uh, I really think that we didn't get it right, and... Uh, you know, I think it's about to change really, really drastically. The statistics of the world in the next ten years, and the diversity, and, and what people are doing now to make change, uh, I think it's going to change. But
2: yeah. So, if folks want to get the book, or if they want to get the podcast, well, where can they where can they find the book?
1: So they can get the book on Amazon and the audio book on Audible yep. or, or at NeighborhoodLines dot com and. Um, it's all there one click of the button. Yeah.
2: So is is this uh is this the end of your uh your writing career or would oh, you say that it's it has just begun oh right? it's
1: just begun we have um we have the sequel to this book it's these two characters this they finished off this book around eighteen nineteen, and now we're picking up at 25 wow. and they're in the real world not students in high school they're on the streets of boston and it gets uh it gets very real out there for these two characters. Wow! Now, are you in the process of writing it, or is this, or is it already? You got oh, the manuscript. It's, it's already, a matter of,
2: of getting it all. It's tightened that, up.
1: It's re, it's coming out at, on February fourteenth, two thousand twenty three. So we're a few months away. And will you uh, accompany it and with an we, audiobook? And we and me and Cornell will get in that studio and do the next uh, audiobook right right then.
2: Yes. What are you hearing from folks who've read the book, other than other than the folks who are? part of the closed circle have, yeah. you, have you had anybody reach out to you and say you will give you their their two cents
1: yeah i've had a lot of reviews from um all different age age range i just had a, a woman today she was like 36 she loved it her father went to cathedral high school that's where the the, the catholic school is mm-hmm. she's going to give it to her father but i have so many great reviews so much um so many people love it and that, that makes me happy yeah that's great do you have a website do you have a way folks want to reach out to yeah, you yeah neighborhoodlines.com Murphy at neighborhoodlines.com so yeah we'll speak at uh, we've been speaking around a few different places library at talks library talks nice. book talks book launch um, schools it's all uh, all for uh, a good cause so well I'm giving you a verbal
2: open invitation yes maybe in late January let's have you back in to uh, give us part two part of two. your book, All and right. we can talk about that. Sound like a plan?
1: All right. Maybe I'll give you the uh, the pre-release version, so you can <sighs> have a little inside look, and we can have have a good talk on that. Would be cool. It, it will blow your mind.
2: Excellent. Definitely. Well, uh, well, I want to thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for uh, sharing your story. All right. Thanks for having me, Kevin. He is Michael Patrick Murphy, author of Neighborhood Lines. Make sure you get the book. Hey, and if not. Check out the audiobook. We're going to step aside when we come back. Final segment of Monday Night Talk here on 959 WATD. Stay tuned.
0: This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 959 WATD.
11: If you want to drink, that's your business.
8: If you want to stop, that's for Alcoholics Anonymous. AA is an inclusive fellowship of individuals all around the world the one thing you need to ask yourself is am I ready to do something about my drinking problem? For more information, literature, and videos about Alcoholics Anonymous, go to aa.org. To find a meeting near you, call 617- 426-9444 or visit aaboston.org
7: McGuigan's Pub is an upscale Irish pub with all the class of a Boston pub. The menu offers favorites like steak tips, fish and chips, meatloaf, as well as burgers, sandwiches, and pizza. The relaxed, comfortable atmosphere at McGuigan's makes it the perfect place to eat, drink, and socialize with family and friends. New hours are Tuesday through Thursday, 4 to close. Friday through Sunday, 1130 to close. McGuigan's Pub is at 546 Washington Street in Whitman with the full menu available at McGuigan'sPub.com.
12: Hi, my name is Alex Byzantin and I'm running for Plymouth County Commissioner. I am the former chairman of the Abington Conservation Commission, former Abington Water Commissioner, and now serving in my second term as Abington Selectman. I am currently serving on the Executive Board of the Plymouth County Advisory Board. If you would like to learn more about my candidacy, please visit my website at alexbizanson.org or follow me on Facebook. I am Alex Bizanson for Plymouth County Commissioner and I approve this message.
11: Go ahead, indulge yourself every Wednesday night, tune in to Talk with Francesca, and join me for provocative conversation, intriguing stories, and inspiration. So sit back and relax, or be stimulated, or both, because being connected feels good, and who doesn't need more of that these days? Don't miss Talk with Francesca Wednesday nights at 9 on 95.9 WATD.
0: Welcome back to Monday Night Talk. Don't just listen, say something. Call 781-837-4900. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night
2: Talk. All right, we are back. The final segment of Monday Night Talk. You always saved the best for last. (laughs) And uh, joining us uh, is uh, Dion Arakawa. She is a reverend, as is uh, Stephen Washburn. Both reverends, uh, same churches, you know, or different churches.
11: I'm serving as the pastor of the Church of the Pilgrimage, and Steve is a retired p- reverend.
2: <laughs> Excellent. And so we're here to talk a little bit about the the Church of uh, of the Pilgrimage celebrating 400 plus years. A pilgrimage in Plymouth. Um, let's do a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a history lesson here. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about the the, the church itself?
11: Sure, a little bit. Um, it's been around for four hundred plus years, Goodness. if you can believe it, uh, here on the South Shore, and uh, and it's the story of the Pilgrims who gathered in 1606 in England and then sailed to Amsterdam and Leiden for a time and then returned to England and then set sail from Plymouth, England to Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1620. And so this is the story of (laughs) what we usually remember at Thanksgiving time, or when we celebrate Plymouth and its founding, and um, so this year is 400 plus years of our church carrying that religious line from England through Leiden uh, back to England and on to our Plymouth. Um,
2: Where is where's the Church of the Pilgrimage located?
11: It is located in Plymouth Square, um, and it it abuts First Parish, the church from which uh, it uh, separated in 1801. And so the two churches sort of face off right under Burial Hill uh, in Plymouth Square, in Plymouth Center. Um, And Burial Hill was where the original fort was built that um where the colonists lived and that if you look from the hill where the our church is you you can see plymouth bay and it will you know unfolds before us and we know all the stories of that especially after we celebrated america's hometown at thanksgiving and and so forth
2: was this event something that was supposed to take place during COVID, but it had to be had to be put off?
11: That's right. We would have done it two years ago, and uh, uh, except for that little minor influenza that <laughs> in our world, and so we're we're celebrating it now. And so it's two years later, but in many ways, I think our people are kind of excited because you know there was so much happening in the town itself and um so this will sort of focus it uh in the church uh in the square and uh we'll tell tell you a little bit about what's happening so
2: uh, reverend Washburn I would I would ask you talk to me about the importance of having a weekend-long celebration i've looked at the list
12: of events and it seems as though you might need a little bit more than just two days <laughs> it's a densely packed schedule and uh, something that we we, f- we hope will be a memorable blessing to everyone who participates we're grateful that the uh, national minister and president of the united church of christ is going to fly in from cleveland ohio and going to give a uh, a special lecture on uh, Uh, on saturday morning october 29th and uh, he's going to be talking about the shame and scandal of christianity so talking about you know pros and cons and what do we need to do to live up closer to jesus message of love to god and love of neighbor as herself and so that that'll be kicking off the event and that that harks back to the 1860s where for the first time Congregational Trinitarian Churches of the United States sent representatives and gathered at Burial Hill in our own Plymouth here in Massachusetts wow. to compare notes. And that foreshadowed the later organization of what became, uh, in 1957, the United Church of Christ before that Congregational Trinitarian Church. And it goes on from there after President Dorhauer's morning lecture. We have, because we're called to you know love our neighbors as ourselves, We're inviting people who do significant community ministries in the Plymouth, greater Plymouth area, to participate in a community exchange, have a table, pass out brochures, educate us about the person-to-person ministries to help people that are happening in our area. And that's the community exchange. And then we're going to be having a talk uh, in the early afternoon by a uh, professor from uh, the Bridgewater State University to give an insight into the indigenous perspective on 1620 and subsequent events. Because without help from Usamaquin, Massasoit, from Poconoket, the Wampanoags in the area... Those 102 who arrived and the dwindled to 51 by, by spring, those 51 would never have survived if they didn't have First Nation neighbors who taught them how to plant, sure. how to fish, and how to get along. And we want to recognize that in that early afternoon talk, and we want to recognize it further in how we have revised something called the... Pilgrim Canticle, and this was uh, first performed back in 1996 at Church of the Pilgrimage, Um, and it celebrates this idea of coming as religious refugees, becoming settler colonists, having good neighbors for 55 years with, you know, not perfect, but 55 years of peace. ...from 1620 down to 1675, where tragically uh, King Philip's War broke out. Right. Uh, So we're going to be celebrating that heritage with this special Pilgrim Canticle at 3 o'clock. Tickets are available on site. Uh, Our website, I want to say, and the United Church of Christ Southern New England website. We have a QR code on the front of the meeting house. And the prophets, whatever they are, of that concert... And then a special collection on Sunday morning, the 10 o'clock service where President Dorhower will preach again. The profits from the concert and the special offering on Sunday morning are going to go as a thank you gift to the First Nation people who today are closest to you know our church, the Herring Pond Wampanoag tribe. And in fact, when the Patuxets who inhabited the land that the pilgrim refugees found vacant. You know, The last few Patuxet who survived the plague that the European fishermen and explorers had brought over without realizing it and wiped out three-quarters of the First Nation population right. here, you know, Cape Cod North, the few who survived from Patuxet, they went to what is today Herring Pond. So Herring Pond represents you know, our closest First Nation neighbors. And we want to say our thanks, and uh, they've agreed to accept our gift. That is amazing. You were going to say something, Reverend? I,
11: uh, I was just going to add, Kevin, that um, the Pilgrim Canticle was written earlier, but it's been significantly revised by a team, and um, Kelly DePasqua, who is the chair of the music department at Silver Lake High School, will be conducting about a 30-member choir. Wow. And there will be a new piece added by uh, the composer Carson Kuman of Cambridge and michael eaton our organist will play that and accompany the choir so it's shaping up to be a really exciting musical program at three thirty in the afternoon and uh... again the words are sensitively rethought given how we now understand who we are uh... in this area of the country uh... and it's shaping up to be rather exciting.
2: Is it important? Is it important to if we realize that something needs to be modified that we're, we're active when it comes to that, and especially to be inclusive of all?
12: Definitely. Uh, for example, it's very much in harmony with the covenant around which the uh, separatists who became the Pilgrims, who became the settlers, gathered back in 1606. There, this is according to William Bradford's journal, their covenant, the words to help them walk well with God and with all of our neighbors, went like this. As God's free people, in other words, they were choosing this. Nobody was telling them to do this. Mm -hmm. As God's free people, we covenant with God to walk in all God's ways, known and to be made known, whatsoever should cost us the Lord assisting us. So that says, number one, God gives us freedom and the responsibility. Number two, we have what we've received from the past, mm. but that's not the end of the story. God continues to teach us. And so it's God's ways known and to be made known. And that's tying right into the point you had just made. We keep learning, and that gives us new insights onto familiar events. And when John Robinson, who was their first pastor back at Scrooby, England, and went with them to the the Netherlands, when he was saying goodbye to them as they were going to depart to take the Mayflower and head over to this side of the Atlantic in 1620, when he said goodbye to them, he said, The Lord hath more truth and light, yet to break forth from his holy word. And so, don't just stick with what I've taught you. But keep learning, keep growing, mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit will lead you. So yes, we need to keep learning and growing and add fresh insights and adjust while valuing everything that we've learned that's good from the past. Is this is this series of events something that the Church,
2: the Church of the Pilgrimage, hopes that it's a, a reoccurring theme annually, or is this a one of because we're separate, we're celebrating? A a momentous time, it being 400 years, Reverend Narkawa.
11: Good question. Uh, I think this is really the 400th plus. The plus is really important to us. Yes. But as Steve mentioned earlier, you know, we have a community exchange uh, after the morning lecture, and it's it's going to be this wonderful uh, space. In which members of the community will come together, both church people, but also, you know, uh, representatives from No Place for Hate, from our two leading homeless uh, shelters, um, from Pilgrim Hall, the Mayflower Museum, and so on and so forth. And so, it's going to be an opportunity for for people to come together and talk to each other you know, after these two years or more or even more than that and engage in lively conversation and maybe common projects in the community. And so fu- it, may, it may go on, um, not in a scheduled way, but uh, in, in more informal ways.
12: And following up, the uh, most recent meeting of our 400th Anniversary Committee uh, specifically said... That we look at this as an opener of a relationship and a broadening of relationship to our neighbors in the community. And specifically, um, we will look forward to our, deepening our connections with the Herring Pond Wampanoags and being in more dialogue with other First Nation and other groups in the, in the area, um, you know, Bashpee Wampanoags, uh, uh where Massasoit Osamaquin originally came from, we look at this as an opener, you know, an event to celebrate, an, a reaching out, and an opening, and a d- development of relationships. So yes, follow up. And again, if you are just tuning in, uh, we are talking about uh,
2: upcoming event later this month, October twenty ninth and thirtieth. The Church of the Pilgrimage presents celebrating four hundred plus years of pilgrimage and uh, we're privileged to have our reverends uh, D. N. Arakawa and Stephen Washburn in studio kind of walking us through and kind of giving us a little bit of a some insight a preview have you of what's going to be taking place in regards to the, the choral concert um, how many different you now have you had a chance to review the pieces and what what are some of what are and can we go over that? Sure.
11: You uh, might mention uh, who's on whose words it's based. Also, who the piece is dedicated to, because answering your question earlier, you know, it, it uh, points to a great friendship between two clergymen and a kind of openness about dialogue and uh, understanding, Plymouth.
12: So the words are taken from William Bradford's uh, On Plymouth Plantation. Yep. And uh, those words uh, were put together, and the music was uh, uh, dedicated to uh, the memory of uh, our our minister emeritus, pastor emeritus Gary Marks, who originally put this together, and also to... uh, Uh,
11: Chaplain Peter Gomes of Harvard University
12: long and native Plymouthian, who continued to live in Plymouth uh, whenever he could get away from Cambridge and so it's dedicated to those two and we're really grateful to uh, uh, Kelly de Pasqua and then our organist uh, Michael Eaton for uh, working with our committee to revise this so we begin with a Pre- Organ prelude uh, written by Carson Kuman called Plymouth Soundings, and then the, there's an introduction, and it highlights two special legacies of uh, that uh, uh, landing and relationship between the uh, Mayflower settlers and the and the First Nation people. First, going back to the origin of the congregation, the idea of covenant. Again, words to help us walk well, Latin covenio, with God and with our neighbors. Um, and that idea of covenant, as you know, uh, when the ship was anchored off of Provincetown and they learned they weren't in Virginia, uh, some, some of the non-separatist um, passengers on the radio flyer said, Well, this is great. We can just go out and grab what we want for as much as we can. And so the separatists who were gathered in a covenant for the common good talked to them, and they said, okay, and they all agreed they would sign the Mayflower Compact based on the idea of the separatist covenant, and it basically says that they will live as a community voting democratically, unfortunately only males at that time, for the common good living as a community for the common good and so that democratic idea and a community gathered for the common good there it's planted right at the Mayflower Complex a benefit of the idea of the separatist covenant of 1660 the other one of course is that uh, there was a friendship that grew up between Edward Winslow and Massasoit Usamaquin. Because shortly out, you know, after they'd, you know, the, the um, Massasoit was under pressure, his people having been dev- devastated by the plague, he was under pressure from the Narragansetts to the south in Rhode Island, who hadn't been touched by the plague. And they were like, okay, you're a little weaker now, so how you be- about you becoming our vassal? <laughs> you know, human right? nature is human nature, right? Sure. And there was power grab going on. So Massasoit said, well, these people aren't, out fishing and they're not hunting they're actually settling these are different from the people we've seen before and so after scouting you know he sent messengers uh, welcome englishmen wow what a surprise and then let us another one let's show you how to fish and how to hunt and then they made an alliance of mutual protection and then a couple of years later, Massasoit came down with a, a what seemed like a deadly illness. And the word came from Poconaca to Plymouth, Massasoit is dying or maybe is dead. Well, Edward Winslow wasn't going to just take rumor. He journeyed and went to see. And he found Massasoit deathly ill. Well, he recognized the disease. He brought some medicine with him. And he actually had to... He had to take his hand and clean Massasoit's tongue and the rest of his mouth of the poisonous mucus that was going to, going to smother him, and he, and he saved Massasoit's life, and when Massasoit recovered, he said, now I know that the English love me, and I will never forget it, and as long as Edward Winslow lived and Massasoit lived, there were incidents, but there was peace. Unfortunately, the next generation from each family, <laughs> Winslow here in Marshfield, and then uh, King Philip, uh, things went south in 1675. But, you know, you had 51 people in Plymouth in 1621. In 1630, you had over 1,000 landing in Boston, Massachusetts Bay. That changed the dynamic. Right. Those 51 mm. knew they were weak, and they needed their neighbors. When you get a 1,000 burgeoning into tens of thousands up in Massachusetts Bay, then it becomes a competition. And uh, do you need those neighbors anymore? And there you go, the seas of King Philip's War. I think we've, we've talked about a lot of the,
2: the things that are um, the major events that are going to be taking place. Are there other little things that we want to kind of mention? Because if folks want to spend a day in Plymouth... You know, uh, I believe this, you get coffee and cider that's gonna be taking place. Might even be a little light uh, soup and lunch yes. uh, at, at times. So if folks wanna spend a day, at least there'll be some sustenance.
11: There will be. And also, if they come to the lecture in the morning, right after, there are tours offered by the Burial Hill friends. I was gonna mention that, yeah who, who really work very hard to, to keep those grounds pr- pristine. There are two tours being offered. There's a small tour um, offered to the Howland House, and actually, the president of the United Church of Christ, John Dorhower, will be going on it because I guess he's a Howland descendant, (laughs) (laughs) and so um, a, a few people with him will make that trip. But I, I know that the courthouse directly across from the Church of the Pilgrimage will be open for as long as we are open and hopefully hopefully the Mayflower Museum will be too so people can wander around you know, go on these tours stay for a lecture pick up a box lunch um, and then in the afternoon return at 3.30 to this concert and um, it should be really beautiful and if they want to go to supper afterwards they're free to do that We as a church will also have, you know, our Sunday service the next day at 10 o'clock. And again, Reverend Dr. John Dorhauer will be preaching. I will be assisting. um, And um, we'll have the choir. We'll have a reception afterwards to which all are invited. We are a welcoming congregation. And uh, so it's an opportunity for us to... uh, open our doors before it closes for the winter.
12: <laughs> and there's uh, public parking uh, just down the hill from the church uh, and the uh uh, the public parking, although it's uh, it's paid parking at that, uh, they they usually don't check the lot until afternoon. So you're safe for the ten o'clock service. We've got <laughs> friends in the parking authority for whom we are grateful, and there's also parking on the that's street on and then down Sundays, by, yeah, on and Sundays. It's, right.
11: It's more official than that, my yeah,
12: friend. That's true, and thank you. And then there's parking free parking down at the Jenny Grist Mill just down the hill in, uh, from uh, the church uh, and that's free parking every day at the Jenny Gristmill. Mill
2: any stone that we have not turned over uh, to talk about these these great two days that
12: are going to be taking place or, or anything that you want to reiterate Sure, one of the groups represented at the Community Exchange will be uh, Plymouth Patuxet Museum and they are celebrating their 75th anniversary wow. this mm-hmm. year. So you've got uh, Anniversary squared, uh, 475.
2: Let's let's make sure that if folks want to find out more information, if they want to get tickets or again, they want to reach out, how can they do that?
11: Contact our church at 8 Town Square. Uh, look for our website. If you're passing by the church, you use our QR code posted right on the front of our church. Or if they're members of the United Church of Christ at other local congregations, like in Marshfield Hills or Duxbury, uh, they can go to the website for our d- local. Uh, area denomination Southern New England Conference of the United Church of Christ.
12: And the website for the Church of the Pilgrimage is www.churchofthepilgrimage.org So,
2: welcome. Now, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, just some of my notes here is that that uh, many of the weekend's events are free with registration to sneucc.org Tickets for the performance of Pilgrim's Canticle—it's twenty dollars, and they got to go to brownpapertickets.com. dot com.
11: Thank you. Yes.
2: Okay. Just want to make sure all th-
11: for a good cause, all
2: for a fantastic cause, and I think. I, I think Stephen had
12: mentioned Re- Reverend had mentioned it earlier. What would ha- what will come of the the funds that are raised? Am I accurate? That's right. The profits of the Canticle Concert and a First special nation. collection in the worship service on Sunday morning will go in a Thanksgiving offering to the Herring Pond Wampanoag Tribe.
2: I want to thank you both for coming in and being my guest this evening. I hope you found it to be uh, uh, informative and able to share this message and, and I hope that uh, you have quite the bounty of visitors uh, both on the 29th and the 30th of October. Thanks for getting the word out.
11: Thanks so much, Kevin. You this got is it. great.
2: I think Larry might end up showing up. Larry's a big uh, a big fan of, of history, our producer. But uh, that, that's all the time I think that we, we have this evening. And, again, we go back to uh, shorter shows uh, in the next couple of weeks because of political forums. But stay tuned as we got uh, more Monday Night Talk coming up. We will look forward to talking to you more next week at 6.15 p.m. Uh, And until then, have yourself a great night.